I want to introduce to you today, Frank Dickens. Good to know our children's pastor's finally a Christian. I was really mad at Jonathan. I told him last week, he told me I'd be up after the children. And I said, you set me up for failure. I'm nowhere near as entertaining. I'm certainly not as cute. Question we used to ask back home a lot, especially when we were kids. I don't hear it so much anymore is, what are you? The response to that question was about your ethnic heritage. And everyone knew, I'm Italian. My my ancestors are Irish. They came over this day. It was about identity. What are you? And there are a lot of ways that we try to craft our identity. Maybe with sports teams. Okay. So let let me hear this. Okay. Go Cubs. (laughs) Or go Cardinals. Well, it's my job to tell you're both wrong. Go Orioles. All right. It may be politics, conservative, liberal, don't clap for these, (laughs) moderate. And when we see or hear something from another perspective, sometimes it causes a visceral reaction in us. It's identity. Maybe education. Every year, every fall, I take a group of students from Lincoln Christian University out east, usually to the New England states. I usually end up in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, we help some churches out there do some work. We did a lot of construction work this past year. One evening, I had the students uh, out in downtown Providence at Brown University, and I texted my wife, Jill. We were in the Brown University bookstore, and I said, do you need any swag from Brown? No. Now, later that week, I took the students to Boston, and we went to Harvard, and we were in the Harvard bookstore, and all the kids were buying T-shirts and sweatshirts, but I did not text my wife that day. Now, we get back home, and she sees all of the students with their Harvard sweatshirts and T-shirts on, and she says, why didn't you ask if I wanted a Harvard shirt? Now, don't think less of me because of what I'm about to tell you. I graduated from the University of Edinburgh which is currently ranked number 18th in the world. Now, Brown University is ranked number 47 in the world. She's allowed to wear that sweatshirt. (laughs) Harvard University is ranked number 6 in the world. And I will not have my wife wearing that trash in our house. (laughs) It's about identity. We, We form identity sometimes with positive things like gender, our accomplishments, our work, sometimes negatively. We question our intelligence or our body image. What are you? There are a lot of ways that we craft our identity. And the author I want to look at today, not the passage, the the author I want to look at today is Paul. And he knew a lot about identity. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, he goes on a little bit of an identity trip. And he says this, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Those are identity issues, religious ethnic, vocational. But in the very next verse, he says this, 
Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. Could you say that about yourself? All of those identity-forming ideas, where we're from, our upbringing, our education, our accomplishments, our politics, are loss because of Christ. Could you say that? Would you say that? The passage I want to look at today pushes our thoughts toward that truth. Advent is not only about the Christ child, but about believers' identities being shaped by one fundamental truth. We are God's children. And in order to understand our identity, we have to know where we came from. Galatians chapter 4 is the passage. If you want to follow along in the Version app or in the Bible in front of you, it will also be on the screen here. Galatians 4, 1 through 3 tells us where we came from. My point is this, Paul says. Heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all the property. But they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. Paul begins with a metaphor. Children who have not received the family inheritance due to them being underage. Even though he says the child is an heir and technically everything's in their name, they're going to get it one day. They own the property, but not really. They're actually, he says, in that instance, like a slave who owns nothing and must serve the head of the family. Jill and I don't have any children of our own to leave what little we have. So we have, when we were doing grown-up things like naming beneficiaries on life insurance policies and those sorts of things, named all of our seven nieces and nephews as our beneficiaries. Everything we have gets divided equally among them. But... Not until something changes, something which we're trying to avoid at the moment. Paul says, children remain under guardians or trustees. That is, people who have been appointed to oversee children in the event of a father's passing. Comparably, our nieces and nephews don't get anything until they turn 18, if something happens to us before then. It's a bit of an odd comparison that Paul makes here. It's kind of a mixed metaphor. Children, slaves. But the point is this. Before Jesus came, that's what we were. I don't know if any of you are into genealogical research. I don't I know a lot of people who have been into that sort of thing, but my mother-in-law was for a while. And she had done some research uh, before she came to visit us in Scotland several years ago and found out that some of her family was from Fife. And we took a trip up to St. Andrew's Cathedral after she had done some work at the Register House in Edinburgh, which is essentially the National Archives. And when you go to the burying grounds at St. Andrew's Cathedral, they actually have a map that you can get at the Visitor Center of all the marked graves. And she and Jill and I spent an afternoon wandering around the burying grounds looking for her family name, and we actually found seven tombstones uh, in the burying grounds there. People who who, uh, do that sort of research and are into it at that level, they know that an important aspect of their identity is based on where they came from. She had the opportunity to go see that. That's what Paul's doing here at the beginning of this passage. He's taking us back. All believers were in the role of slaves. 
Particularly, he says in Galatians 3, so enslaved to sin that the law, the scripture, that is, according to Paul in Romans 7, holy and righteous and good, could not bring righteousness because of our sin. The central problem that Paul is trying to address in Galatians for the Galatian Christian was that some people were teaching that a person had to be circumcised, that is, become a Jewish person, before they could become a Christian. In other words, you have to follow the law, or one aspect of the law, first, before you can be a Christian. And Paul, in this letter, over and over and over and over again, is screaming, no. That... Doing that would be tantamount to forfeiting your status as an heir, a child in God's household. It would be like reverting to slavery. It would be like reverting to one's status as a minor who cannot have the family inheritance yet. Before Jesus, the way of life characterized by trying to follow a law that was debilitated by human sin. It's an attempt to manufacture an identity based on observance observance of a facet of Jewish law while not realizing that one's own sin has undermined the entire endeavor. It's a way of saying that identifying with Christ is not enough, but that a person needed something in addition to Christ, in this case circumcision, to be a Christian. So what are you? Paul asked. And the answer here at the beginning of this passage is not that. That's where you came from. Don't go back. Things have changed drastically. And if we're going to understand our identity, we need to know not just where we came from, but what has changed. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. The language of the passage signals a contrast, but here's why we're talking about this at Christmas. It's Paul's Christmas time. It's Advent. It's the Christmas story told in its barest terms. God sent the Son to redeem those under the law so that they might be adopted as children. Earlier in Galatians, Paul said it this way. Christ's faithfulness toward God provides the way for us to be children of God as we are faithful toward God. In other words, God intervenes in the world in the person of Christ, and because of that and because of our faithfulness toward God, our identity is altered radically. We are marked out as God's children. Now, the metaphor changes in these verses to adoption. People in Roman Galatia were very familiar with how radically adoption could change an individual's status. Several decades before this letter was written, Julius Caesar was fighting the Roman Civil War in Spain. He had a grandnephew named Gaius Octavius Thorinus. Gaius was supposed to bring troops to help his great-uncle Julius in Spain, but he was shipwrecked along the way. They eventually made their way to shore, but he had to cross through enemy territory to get to his uncle. And he did. And his uncle was so impressed that Julius Caesar adopted him and named him his sole heir. 
Gaius took the name of his uncle, Gaius Julius Caesar, and upon Caesar's death, the nephew decided to become the political heir. And 17 years later, was named by the Roman Senate Augustus, the exalted one. One display of faithfulness to a great uncle. One intervention by Caesar changed not only Augustus's life, but the entire course of Roman history. God has intervened. We call it Christmas. Advent, or as Julie read earlier, the Incarnation. Jesus comes, born of a woman, fully human, born under the law to identify fully with humanity. The language of the passage is actually reminiscent of the Exodus story. Israelites enslaved in Egypt as a nation for hundreds of years. And God intervenes. Through Moses, he says, Exodus chapter 4, Israel is my son. In Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of slavery. God intervenes not only to rescue God's people, but to make them God's own children. The slave is freed. The child has come of age. For us, through our faith in and faithfulness toward Jesus, we are adopted. What has changed? Everything has changed in this moment. Christmas. Earlier in the letter, just a few verses ahead of what we were reading, Paul says this, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? Ethnicity? Socioeconomic status? Gender? It's all out the window. When we come into Christ in baptism. Paul says to women who were viewed in the Roman world as second class human beings, you are now a child of God on equal footing with these men. He says to slaves, the lowest rung of society, owned property. You are now on equal footing with these free people in Christ. And the core issue of Galatians, does a person have to become a Jew before becoming a Christian? No, 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 no. Greeks who were looked down upon and despised by Jews, considered unclean, unworthy, infidel, pagan, you are now on equal footing with these Jewish people. It's important for us as Christians to realize, because I find that we are often tempted to add something to our identity in Christ. We do this in church. When we think a person has to know the ins and outs of how the atonement works in order to get baptized. But the moment we think that a person cannot be a Christian because of a lack of knowledge that we think we have. We have in Paul's terms in this letter abandoned the gospel. Because we've said that Christ alone is not sufficient. There is no more divisive issue in our culture than politics. And it pains me to say that many American Christians have been co-opted by a certain political vision. But the moment we think that a person cannot be a Christian because of their politics, we have abandoned the gospel. 
Because we're saying that Christ alone in that instance is not sufficient. We do this in church when we think that people have to hold the same exact beliefs as us. But the moment we think that a person cannot be a Christian because of doctrinal differences or because of where they attend church, we have abandoned the gospel. Because we've said that Christ alone is not sufficient. Anytime we add something to Jesus, as the Galatians had with circumcision, we have abandoned the gospel. Christ alone is sufficient for our identity. What are you? You are a child of God. And that is our identity. Galatians 4, 6 and 7. Because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. You are no longer a slave, you are a child. An inheritor of the promises of God, marked out by the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Romans 8.15, Paul says this, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received a spirit of adoption. And when we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 is actually the other side of that coin. It's the Spirit in this instance that cries out, Abba, Father. It's the language of a child speaking to a parent. The experience of the Spirit is what marks us as having been adopted into God's family. Where have you come from? What changed? And what marks you out? How do you know? Let me illustrate this briefly. When we lived here before, my wife and I lived in Illinois for a couple of years. She's going to come up here for a second just to help me illustrate this. I was a graduate student then, so I didn't talk to a lot of people. I was mostly in a library. I come back now to teach. I've been living here for five years, and my students, most of whom are from this region of the country, have uh, no problem informing me that I say some things differently than they do. Okay, Because I'm not from around here. Now, my wife, who prides herself on her perfect Midwestern diction, is going to help me illustrate this. Okay, So we're just going to say a few words so you can hear my accent. Now, it's not a heavy accent like people from New England or places in the South But it is, according to Scripture, the Lord's preferred way of speaking. So, Jill, if you could tell them a place where we used to live back east. So we lived in Bel Air, which was right outside Baltimore. Okay. Now, the correct way to say those towns are Bel Air and Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Everyone got it? (laughs) All right. And what state are they in? Maryland. The correct way to pronounce the name of this place is Maryland. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, there are a couple of other small words. One is a possessive pronoun. Our. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but the correct way to say that word is air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And this preposition. On. One. This is the one that gets the students the most. (laughs) And then this last one. Water. Water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) 
I've come from somewhere else. My situation has changed, and there are identifying marks of that change. Paul says here in Galatians, the Spirit of God has come into the lives of God's children. That's what marks them out. And as I was reading through Galatians, I was trying to think, what would Paul consider the marks of the Spirit? He says the Spirit cries out on our behalf, Abba, Father. But how do we know? If you come over to Galatians chapter 5, there's a list. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you know the spirits at work in your life are there? Are those things there? That's how we know we're children of God. And here's the very simple yet profound message of this passage. Here is the Advent message. As believers, we are children of God. When we lived back in Maryland, we had some good friends who had adopted two children from Russia. And every year, they had an adoption day party. And they invited us along to one of these. And they would serve Russian food. And they would talk about Russian culture and Russian history. And we would learn Russian phrases. And it was a way to remind those children where they're from, but that their status had changed. They're now part of this family. The good news of Christmas that some of us simply need to hear is this. You are a child of God. Many of us carry some weights that make it hard to accept that fundamental truth. That God has loved us and brought us into God's family. You are a child of God. We carry the weight of abusive parents for whom we could do nothing right. You're a child of God. We carry the weight of health issues that have come to define who we are. And we ask questions like, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? You're a child of God. We carry the weight of pressures from our parents and our families to succeed, and we never thought we lived up. You're a child of God. The words of a bully still ring in our ears, causing us to feel worthless. You are a child of God. We carry the burden of unemployment. We've lost a job. We're struggling with our self-worth and value. You are a child of God. We carry the weight of a divorce that we had nothing to do with. We felt because of that like we never fit in anywhere. You are a child of God. We carry the burdens of thinking we've not been as successful as we'd like. We're not at the point in our career that we thought we would be. You are a child of God. We build our identity on so many things. I am just as guilty as the next person. A couple of weeks ago when Brooks asked me to preach this sermon, I've got my list 
my own list of failures and negative things from my past. I've got my list of accomplishments and the things that I'm good at. I needed to hear this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, in order to redeem humanity so that we might receive adoption as children. What are you? I'm a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the yearly reminder that you broke into humanity in the person of Jesus. We are grateful for the reminder through Scripture that because of that, everything has changed. Everything is different. And for those of us who are believe, this Advent, help us not only remember the child in the manger, but that we are your children as well. In Jesus' name, amen.